Bridge Boys. <laughs> Wait, can we can can you sample us doing that yeah, for the and like, take our vocals and like Welcome to Bridge Boys, the podcast where we talk about bridges. Bridges. I'm Big Germs and this is my co-host Andreas. AKA Papas Fritas. Hola, hola. Como estas? What's up, man? <laughs> How's it going? Dude, it's been good. I had another fantasy draft this evening. Oh, how did it go? I, I think it went exceptionally well. Okay, Do you have that's any... enough about football. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or you can, no, no, no. If you got questions. I was just, it. the final question I was going to ask was Do you have any words for your opponents? Yeah, watch out. I'm coming for you. Oh. And I got these crazy eyes right now going. Yeah, I wish everyone could see the crazy eyes. You're freaking me out. So yeah, just want to today give a big shout out to Corey from Scranton. He contacted us Bridge Boys via Twitter and submitted our awesome bridge that we have today. We're going to cover the Roeblings-Delaware Aqueduct Bridge. It's actually the country's oldest surviving suspension bridge, which I know, Jeremy, you are pumped up about. Yeah, they can't see it, but I'm like shaking in my seat right now. I'm so excited. Yeah. It's Roebling. It's a suspension bridge. It's the oldest surviving one. We got a lot to talk about. The The name Roebling might not mean a lot to anybody yet, but this guy, John Roebling, he is so huge in the history of bridges in the United States. So I'm excited for when we get later How on. How many times have we talked about him and not known we are going to talk about him when like first choosing a bridge dude we've like mentioned his name many times in the series <laughs> before realizing how significant he was we should just change the name to roblings boys <laughs> roblings boys it doesn't have the same yeah, it doesn't hit as hard so yes this this bridge is particularly close to home for me because it's quite literally close to home for me this bridge crosses the delaware river at the border of pennsylvania and new york so i mentioned earlier how lockawaxen is in the most eastern county so it is right there its total length is 535 feet the longest span is 142 feet and in terms of african bush element elephants (laughs) which has been our (laughs) metric as of the last few episodes that is 22.3 african bush elephants long still a lot of elephants not as much as our akashi kaikyo bridge but significantly less elephants than the akashi kaikyo (laughs) But still a good number of elephants. So I found this really cool visual description of the bridge, which is a nice feature that we started doing after a recommendation from one of our trolls. And and this, I'm going to quote this from an article by Emma Cobb of the American Heritage magazine, which this article was written in like 1986, I believe. But just let me take you guys on a journey. The sight of a canal boat crossing a river was hardly remarkable in 1849, when, on April 26th, a local crowd and engineers from all over the country gathered on the banks of the Delaware River in Upper Pennsylvania. The boat in view was an ordinary barge. What was curious was how it got from shore to shore. Floating inside a wooden flume suspended 30 feet above the water from two iron cables, which dipped across the river over stone piers. Mm. And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> yeah, I think it's funny too that we when we did the Magdeburg River Bridge, we were like, "Yeah, this is probably going to be the only river bridge that we ever do." 
<laughs> and then like two weeks later, we <laughs> we have a uh, another aqueduct bridge. So we'll, we won't cut it short this time. There's probably going to be future river and aqueduct bridges yeah. to be on the podcast. I also like how we, that was the introduction that it was an aqueduct bridge, by the way. We didn't say anything beforehand and you just read this off. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. this is an aqueduct So welcome bridge. to Bridge Boys. <laughs> Keep you on your toes, baby. Never know what's coming next. So the life of this bridge is interesting because the listeners might be like, aqueduct bridge, is it an aqueduct or is it a bridge? And you're going to find out what exactly it is because it's both and not the way you think. So it started out as an aqueduct bridge and then it transitioned into a private toll bridge where it was neglected. Sad, Sad face, face emoji. Oh, jinx. Oh. <laughs> That's like three episodes in a row that we jinxed, <laughs> jinxed each other. I still owe you that Coke from uh, Uber Eats. I'll get that <laughs> Oh my <you>. gosh. <laughs> uh, so after it was neglected, it was then restored by the National Park Service. Can I just take a second? I love the National Park Service. Like, I don't know like if anyone else feels this way, but when I think of like my patriotism or like appreciation mm. for being American, it's because of like how awesome the National Park Service is and how many great memories I have from like spending so many summers and stuff, road tripping and backpacking and all that in the national parks. Dude, I love that, that you just said that. That is a true form of patriotism and what it should be. I love that. We love this land, you know? Yeah. Got to take care of it. That was beautiful. But yeah, so this bridge was originally one of four suspension aqueducts that were part of the Hudson and Delaware Canal, which sought to carry barges full of coal from northeastern Pennsylvania to the Hudson River and then New York City. Which I think growing up in that area, I always knew these types of systems and and kind of the history behind them. I don't know if, and maybe this is just my pure ignorance for like West Coast culture, but I don't, I didn't know if. You were familiar with this type of commerce, I guess you could say, back in the, like, 1800s? Not really. I mean, like, I knew that we had built some canals, but I didn't realize that they straight up carved these canals for, like, hundreds of miles mm-hmm. and just how, like, essential they were. Like, doing the research on this was crazy. Yeah, and get, and we'll get into this a little more, but it's, to me, like, I think traveling in Pennsylvania and you're just driving somewhere, you still see some of these types of architecture that are standing still, but not being used. And it's just kind of crazy to see there's so much history on, I mean, obviously there's history all over the country and the world, but I think there's a lot of history in Pennsylvania specifically that, you know, isn't as well known. So I, I'm really happy that Corey sent over this bridge because there's a lot of cool history here. But um, the Delaware and Hudson, also known as D&H Canal, and the Gravity Railroad operated from 1828 to 1898. And this served to move coal from northeastern Pennsylvania, to, as I said, to markets in Hudson. But there was an issue with the canal system in that it crossed several rivers at the Delaware River particularly, there was a rope ferry that moved barges across the river rather than down or up it, you can think of. And at the same time, the timber industry had long used the Delaware River to float their lumber downstream to shipyards in Trenton and Philadelphia. And so I don't know if many of our listeners know this, but they literally used to like pack wood onto these floats and just like float them downstream, which... It's kind of crazy to think that's just how it worked, you know? Yeah. It always, like, trips me out thinking about that because I know they, they did it on the, in the Northwest, too. Mm-hmm. 
But it's like, I mean, what else would you do? Yeah, what are you like, going to do? You got to get the wood from point A to point B, and there's a river that's going that way. Just huck it in there and let it rip. <laughs> let it rip. But yeah, so apparently, because you had the barges going across and the timber floats coming downstream, or coming from upstream, I should say, there were a ton of accidents and coordination issues where loggers would float their trees down the river and they would crash into the barges <laughs> carrying the coal. <laughs> Just a shit so, show, man. Dude, like, imagine you're like on the the coal barge and you're using the rope ferry to get across the river, and these just Timber. giant tree trunks coming. Like, oh god, Timber! Like, oh man. He's like, "Where's the tree falling? No, it's floating across." <laughs> oh man! And you can see it coming from like a mile away, and you're just like, "There's nothing I can do." It's like that Austin Powers scene with the steamroller, and he's just standing oh, there. Oh, yeah. He's like, no, no, stop. And it takes like five minutes, and he eventually rolls over. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I haven't seen those movies in so long. Yeah, that, that was a silly movie, for sure. Yeah. So to help with all these accidents, in 1840, they enlarged the canal system. As I said, they included those four suspension bridges and aqueducts that our boy John Roebling commissioned to build. So the Delaware Aqueduct that was built over the Delaware River cost $41,750 at the time. And in 2020 terms, $2020 would be $1,177,700. And 10 cents. Can't forget that 10 cents. No, every penny. It's it's wild to think of a bridge costing $41,000. But yeah. even re- regardless of that aqueduct. being in 1847, oh yeah, sorry, an aqueduct, mm-hmm. even that being in 1847, like the 1.17 million in 2020 is pretty cheap for I was building a, that. that bridge. Like I would imagine it would be somewhere in the 20 million for that size of a bridge, or if not more. Yeah. That's a very unbased estimate, so don't take my word for it. I mean, I, how much was the Akashi Bridge? It was like $4 billion? Yeah, that was definitely yeah. in the billions. I mean, that bridge was crazy. I guess a better comparison would be the Magdeburg Bridge. Oh, yeah, right. Aqueduct. Sorry. The River Bridge. And so at its peak in 1850, the aqueducts carried uh, 300,000 tons of coal. That's... Coal country. That's wild. Yeah. 300,000 tons of coal. It's in New York City. Yeah. And now coal's on its way out. It's crazy, the evolution. Yeah. One cool thing about the Delaware Aqueduct is that in addition to preventing those pileups with the timber and the coal barges. It also, the the addition of these aqueducts saved about a day's worth of travel time. Oh, right. Which amounts to hundreds of thousands of dollars annually just in the burn rate of how how much it costs per day for a barge. They've definitely made their money back on that one. Smart move. Thanks to Roebling. So that's a little bit about the Delaware Aqueduct. And after this word from our sponsors, we're going to switch gears and we're going to chat more about the structure and the design of the bridge, which is the aqueduct which is fascinating so be sure to stay tuned and we will talk to you in a bit talk to you soon you know andres i just wanted to let you know i love having the opportunity to take a deep dive each week on a different bridge with you dude me too this has been such an awesome experience and i really love these types of podcasts where people just go really in on one subject for a while you know i actually just started listening to this really cool podcast that does exactly that 
It's called The Seabird Podcast. Oh, okay. I'm intrigued. What's up with it? So each week, the hosts, Mike and John, interview a new person, and they talk about all sorts of wild stories, ranging from being lost at sea to car crashes and even near-death experiences. Dude, that's what I'm talking about. I'm super interested. Uh, where can I check it out? Just search Seabird wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Seabird. S-E-A-B-I-R-D. Awesome. I'm on it right now. Well, welcome back, everybody. I hope you had a good ad break. And, you know, maybe you found something good from our sponsors. They, we mm. really appreciate them for sponsoring us, even though they're just the sponsors. Whoa, whoa, they're not just the sponsors. You're right. I apologize. Sorry, sponsors. <laughs> we love you. Everybody love everybody. So we alluded to this at the start of the podcast, but the designer of this bridge is a fellow named John Roebling. And as I mentioned earlier, he is perhaps one of the most famous structural engineers and bridge designers in American history. And I didn't really know very much about him going into the research for this bridge. So what I learned about him is pretty awesome. And I'm excited to share a little bit about his, his background and what he did for the world. So you might have recognized the name Roebling from our Ladies Bridge episode, where we talked about Emily Roebling. So Emily Roebling, like we mentioned, was the first female field engineer and she took over the structural engineering of the Brooklyn Bridge after her husband, Washington Roebling, became terminally ill and passed away. So Washington Roebling is actually the son of John Roebling. And John Roebling came up with the original schematic design for the Brooklyn Bridge, but got tetanus and passed away mm. and passed the design on to his son, Washington who then became terminally ill and passed the design on to Emily. Jeez. So there's, that's how there's so many different Roeblings involved in bridge design. But John Roebling was the guy who came up with the original schematic design. I mean, that family must have just been, like, so prominent. Like, you know? Yeah. I can imagine I mean, walking never... to their house and it's some Downton Abbey type stuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, they better have a sweet house with, like, the best structure and just bridges going everywhere. I've never even heard of a, a bridge dynasty family, but mm. the Roeblings were about as close as it gets. So John was born in Prussia, and he was educated in Germany for his like, college education. He did study architecture and engineering there, but he had a, a real passion for natural philosophy. And that was actually what he ended up writing his thesis on and doing a ton of research on. So he, as he was living in Europe, he was like not really drawn towards being a civil engineer, but that's what he studied. But his, his real passion was like higher level thinking and philosophy. And he, in 1831, there was some economic crises going on in the Prussian area. And him and his brother, as well as several other Germans and Prussians, got on a boat and emigrated to the United States with the intent of setting up a rural town in Pennsylvania, which they ended up doing, which was called Saxonburg. It's outside Pittsburgh for everyone, just north of Pittsburgh. Nice. And so in 18, they, he emigrated in 1831. And while he was living there for about four or five years, he was there with his brother and he ended up getting married. But then his brother passed away. Jeez. And over those four, four or five years, he was like, man, this agrarian lifestyle, I thought it was going to be awesome, but it's just a ton of work and I don't really love it. My real passion 
is for bridges. And since he had the architecture and engineering background, he decided to switch gears in his career and pursue that. Dude, he's there's the, this. Oh, go for it, go for it. I was just going to say he's the OG bridge boy. He is the OG bridge boy. Fa- like following his passion for bridges and just doing it. Yeah. Well, so I found this awesome quote by him that I want to mm. read to you. And it's from when he decided to switch gears and become a civil engineer slash bridge designer. The study of suspension bridges formed for the last few years of my residence in Europe, my favorite occupation. Let but a single bridge of the kind be put up in Philadelphia, exhibiting all the beautiful forms of the system to full advantage. And it needs no prophecy to foretell the effect which the novel and useful features will produce upon the intelligent minds of the Americans. Oh, yes, dude. That was amazing. He was so into suspension bridges. I love it, man. Oh my gosh. Wow. And like You'd you can be so you can imagine proud he, about how you read that, by the way. I can just feel it. <laughs> I hope so. I, I hope he's in his grave just thinking. He's bridge father still, of the bridge boys. The bridge father. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And and like you can imagine he's like sitting there at his farm, like, oh, there's gotta be something more to life. And then he just was reminiscing on his European days and all the beautiful bridges over there. And he's just like, we got to do this in America. We can make it happen. We have so many rivers. Wow. And while he was still living in his, in the, this, in Saxonburg, he decided to create his own way of fabricating wire cables for suspension bridges. And him and his sons actually opened up a, fabrication production company and his wire cables ended up being used on many bridges all throughout the United States, one of which is the Golden Gate Bridge. Fun fact. Hmm. But he, when he first did this, he just did it in his backyard. And so he created a rope walk at his farm so that he could fabricate the wires himself. What? Uh, That's crazy. Yeah. He just like made this wiring technique that is now like that's insane yeah he yeah he was just obsessed can you imagine him on his farm like doing this and someone's like john what are you doing like you're never going to do anything with that and then he just not made some like modern infrastructure for like all suspension bridges yeah right he well i'm gonna get to like the the really beauty the elegance the structural elegance of wire ropes okay later on but you can imagine him with the passion that I'm telling you about this, right. telling somebody else back in the 1830s, like, <laughs> yeah, this is what I love. And so he got a job as a structural engineer. He finally won a bid for building a wire cable suspension bridge. And his first one was replacing a wooden aqueduct, which crossed the Allegheny River. Allegheny. Allegheny. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Pennsylvania. Allegheny. It's all good. It's a tough word. So he replaced an old wooden, wooden canal with uh, a wooden canal aqueduct with a wire cable suspension bridge there. And the project was financially and aesthetically very successful. And he ended up getting commissioned by the Delaware and Hudson Canal Company after that to build four suspension aqueducts for them. And one of those still exists as the bridge we're talking about today, which is Roebling's Delaware Aqueduct Bridge. So I still can't the believe bridge, he, Oh, go for it. No. Sorry, I was going to say, I can't believe that he's all over Europe and all over America for bridges. Like, his, his breadth of his work is pretty impeccable for especially back then too yeah i mean thus far of the people we've discussed on this podcast it's like john rennie and (laughs) (laughs) and roebling that's true oh my god i just realized they're both named john Mm -hmm. maybe there's just something about john's instructional engineering my middle name is john it was destined to be man 
So as far as like the particular structural details go, this is a wire cable suspension bridge with a wooden deck over masonry abutments. So I've been mentioning the wire cable thing quite a bit, and that's really what makes this bridge structurally significant and is the reason why John Roebling's designs were so innovative for the time. So back in the 1800s, most of the suspension bridges at the time were built with open link chains, which like you can picture those old like sailing chains that are one inch thick steel that's like wrapped around each other. And those things are like super heavy and super beefy. They built, bridges were built with those? I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because they're like super strong. Yeah. But the problem with them is that they're extremely heavy and they have zero redundancy. Mm. Because you know the old adage... The chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Weakest link, right, yeah. But with st- when you make wire cable, you're taking like hundreds of strands of steel wire and then bunching them together right. and then braiding it. Well, so I'm thinking of the Akashi Bridge. So their idea for all of those strands is basically from his initial initial design, right? Like it yeah, evolved. Exactly. From- wow, that's crazy. Yeah, so he, the, I mean, he, he wasn't the first one to build a wire cable suspension bridge, but he was the one to bring it to prominence and do yeah. it like cost effectively and make people realize it was wow. the way to go. That's crazy. But the the cool thing about the when you have so many strands of steel wire, if one of those wires fails, it's not a big deal because mm-hmm. there's thousands of other strands that are there to provide some redundancy. And so that's where people, where he was like, we can actually greatly reduce the amount of steel we need mm-hmm. and totally reduce the amount of costs. Wow. So this bridge in particular, so the wire cables, it has two cables, one on each side, and each of them are eight and a half inches diameter. And there's a total of 2,150 wires, which are bunched into seven or grouped into seven bunches. So you have those 2,000 wires grouped into seven bunches, and those seven bunches are spun around one another to create the, the stranded cables. The deck is made from wood, and those loads of the deck are transferred to the cables through these steel struts. They're kind of like U-shaped collars. I, I don't have any dimensions on it, but they look like they're around half inch to an inch thick steel collars that wrap around the cables. Mm. And the wood was but, white pine originally. Oh, yes. White pine, which I don't really know anything structurally significant about white pine, Mm. but I imagine that it was probably pretty prevalent in the Pennsylvania area. So what what was also cool about this bridge was that aesthetically, when you're on the drive aisle, they created this like plank barrier. So as you're driving across, it doesn't appear to be a suspension bridge. But if you go to the outside of it and you're looking at it, there's like these wooden struts that create like a skeleton shape around the suspension cables and it looks super cool. It's almost like looking at a fossil of a suspension bridge mm, in this like wood casing. Cool. And to clarify that for all the listeners, we mentioned briefly at the start, but the bridge started out as a aqueduct and then eventually transitioned to a private road bridge. And now in its current state is a road bridge for cars to drive over. So they did do some work to swap it from being made for water to being made for cars, but don't want to get people confused. There is, at one point in time, it was an aqueduct, and then now it's like a road bridge. Yeah, and we're going to get a little bit, we'll dive a little bit deeper into that later on. Yeah, and then the last bit of significance, and this is particularly interesting for why the Delaware and Hudson Canal Company really liked Roebling's designs. When he came up with the suspension bridge design, 
it had three footings that were actually in the river, whereas the typical truss bridges that the DNH Canal Company were seeing on their aqueducts had like four or five footings that had to be in the river over a similar span. And if you can imagine, when we talked about the issues with the timber floating down the river, the more footings you had, the more likely your bridge footings were to get damaged by logging rafts that floated underneath because mm-hmm. they were typically really difficult to navigate and probably unmanned going around those bridge piers. Yeah. So reducing from four or five footings to just three had a drastic impact on the amount of maintenance they had to end up doing on the bridge. And that's why they were really sold on it. They decided to give them a chance. Nice. Looks like it paid off. So that's a lot of talk about John Roebling. I hope that you all share as much passion as I had for him after the couple hours of research I did on him. But <laughs> He's the bridge um, father. So yeah, everyone should appreciate father. him. We're going to take a brief ad break and then we'll come back and talk about some tough times that fell upon the bridge and how they transitioned from being an aqueduct into a vehicular bridge. Hi, I'm Jason Heyer. I'm Ace of Heyer. I'm James Freeman. And this is Higher Education. We bring the name. James brings his game. Join us as we journey through a year in history each and every week. Our goal is to find the funny in what happened. Have a laugh and learn something too. On Higher Education. Welcome back to Bridge Boys. Bridges. So for this next segment, we're going to go over the evolution of how the canal or the aqueduct evolved into a bridge. And so this is what I was referring to earlier as the tough times. In 1848, the New York and Erie Railroad was built through the area. And although the D&H Canal continued to operate for another 50 years, and it was actually very successful. The railroads made it more successful than it was. The railroads eventually uh, overcame the canals and really made them obsolete. I found that particularly interesting with like, as they had the canal, they built the railroads around Mm it to like help facilitate it. But then you're thinking like, well, the railroads are obviously way better because they don't rely on like, or like maybe not way better environmentally speaking, yeah. but they were very efficient from a like a economic perspective. Commerce, yeah. So it was interesting to see that they ran them in conjunction with one another. Yeah, but so after the DNH Canal shut down in 1898, the Delaware Aqueduct was purchased in 1901 by Charlie Sprucks. Oof, what a name! Yeah, S P R U K S. Oh, Sprooks, Sprooks. maybe. I like Sprooks, though. Sounds like a barbecue restaurant. Sprooks barbecue? Oh, yeah. I don't know why. But yeah, so Chuck Sprooks, he... Oh, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) Sprooks barbecue. Man, this barbecue is sprucking good. (laughs) Oh, man. Chuck Sprooks did it again. (laughs) Oh, Chuck Sprooks. (laughs) So Chuck added a toll house to the New York side of the bridge. Obviously, them New Yorkers are going to pay that toll. And the towpaths and lumber walls were dismantled, leaving a dry foundation for what would become a vehicular toll bridge. Oh, and Jeremy, so, I had a 
had a quick question for you. Do you know what a towpath is? Yeah, so a tow a towpath is a small path which runs adjacent to any sort of like river, canal, or aqueduct type deal, and it allows people to tow the boats from the land. Mm. Okay. So they range in size. They could be small enough for just like a single person to walk along, and they can get as big as having space for a truck to tow a boat. Oh, that's cool. Kind of just depends on the area, but this one they would have had a, a towpath that they could help facilitate the bridges getting across or the. the Barges getting across the bridge. Okay. Not the bridges getting across the bridge. Right. They don't move. Well, some of them do. That would be a straw style, right? The bascule. No, I knew that. I hate tests. <laughs> this is why I'm bad at tests because I was saying bascule in my head. <laughs> and then I was like, no, that can't be right. Man, Sorry, that was bad. Luckily, this isn't a quiz. Can we cut that? That's going to make me sound really stupid. We've been doing bridges for like five, uh, 10 weeks now. Okay, anyways. So <laughs> after Chuck's Brooks. You need to look tough. <laughs> After Chuck's, I hate looking dumb. Also, okay, I want to say this on the recording because I know I told you guys this earlier. The whole con, the whole me butchering conquered came from my mom. Actually, spoke up about this because she's like, "Hey, I noticed you butchered conquered, but the way you were saying it resonated with me because every time I think of conquered, I think of conquistadors in Spanish, and that's what was tripping me up, and that's what was tripped her up too. So I got the receipts for that one." So I know I look dumb sometimes, but it's not always what it seems. Conquested. 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 <laughs> that makes sense, though. I I, uh, I give you that. I think, now that you've explained it, though, that if, you, if you're coming from it from having a Spanish background, you can, I can see how that would be a hard word to transition from conquest to conquer. Sometimes I just, I don't know. There's, like, some words that, like, because I'm not native Spanish speaker. I just, I studied it um and i have my i have a bachelor's degree in it but there's just some words that stick with you sometimes that you're just so used to hearing or saying so where were we after uh chuck sprucks kind of did his damage the bridge changed ownership several times over the following years and small profits were generated from the toll but in 1993 parts of the bridge caught fire and some of the woodwork was lost and had to be replaced Fortunately, we don't have much context into this fire, I don't believe. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, I guess theoretically, like they would have to be replacing the wood anyways over the course of the life of the bridge. But I, I don't imagine, unless it was a major fire, that it would have severely damaged the steel. Oh, yeah. Not the steel. It'd have to be a super hot fire for that. Although I, I, I should clarify that because structural steel does need to be protected from fire in modern construction. Mm. They add a, like a cementitious, material that gets sprayed on and creates like a up to like depending on how many hours of rating you need but typically for like a two-hour protection you add like two inches or so two to three inches of this cementitious material mm. because as you do heat up steel it its yield strength decreases drastically oh wow okay becomes a lot more ductile mm. but the yield point reduces hmm, that makes sense but it doesn't it, but if it doesn't reach like a critical temperature and if it eventually when it cools back down if it's not like quenched immediately mm -hmm. it'll go back it'll like have its same original yield strength there's all sorts of chemistry stuff going on there with the yeah. fires but anyways back to chuck's brook back to chuck's brook's barbecue <laughs> truck? oh it's a food truck chuck's brook's barbecue food truck oh <laughs> chuck's brook's <laughs> Real good food truck. <laughs> Chuck's Brooks food trucks. Chuck's Brooks barbecue food trucks. Okay. Whoa. You're in luck. Chuck's Brooks oh. food trucks. Oh my god. Don't eat. Don't eat muck. Get Chuck's <laughs> Brooks food truck. 
Oh, shoot. <laughs> okay, sorry. We got to get back to this bridge. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here's a fun fact. I mean, it's not fun. I, I don't know what happened to the person, but in 1977, a truck completely fell through the deck of the bridge, which all but ended its functional life. Sad. Whoa. Into a sad face emoji. Yeah. I mean, they must have had, because it, right? So it's a wooden structure, or like the deck is wood. So if the wood was rotting and deteriorating, oh. then I could totally see a truck falling through. Man, could you imagine sailing. that? Just falling through the deck of a bridge? That would be really unfortunate. Yeah. And this bridge is interesting too, because it's pretty narrow. Like you wouldn't cross it. I, I don't know. I could see if I just came across this bridge, I'd be like, oh, I don't know if I want to drive across this. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's so narrow, you can only fit one car and it barely yeah. has space. It's like the size of a parking spot, which we didn't. I don't know if we described that in the beginning. We had that beautiful description from Emma, but yeah, we'll, we'll definitely obviously post photos of it. There's some great shots. So after the car falling through the deck, thankfully, in 1980, the National Park Service comes to rescue and purchases the aqueduct and or excuse me, the aqueduct bridge to be preserved as part of the Upper Delaware Scenic and Recreational River. Dude, I'm just like picturing that song, The Flight of the Valkyries going, <laughs> and like the National Park Service people like strolling up, just like, dun 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 Oh, that's good. So that year that they bought it, Henry Magaziner? Magaziner? Magazine. Magazine. I don't know. <laughs> you were, you said it way better than I did. We could just call him Magazine until someone fact checks us. Yeah, Magazine. A regional historical architect for the National Park Services noted, and I'm going to quote here All I had to do was hop up and down on one end, and I could see a ripple running all the way from Pennsylvania to New York. That sounds like when I was at, uh, the Chuck E. Cheese when I was a kid. <laughs> and I'd jump on like the, the little bridge thing and I'd go, oh. That's you know scary what? that they were driving cars over that. I mean, I guess the one guy went through, but. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm it's... sorry. It just hit me what bridge you were talking about at Chuck E. Cheese because I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so after the Parks and Rec, sorry, excuse me. After the National Park Restoration, the bridge was designated as a National Civil Engineering Landmark, as it should, in my opinion. Amen. Yeah. And what's fascinating about it is that almost all of the Delaware Aqueduct's existing ironwork, like the cables, saddles, and suspenders, are the same materials that were installed when the structure was built. Jeremy, what's a saddle? So at each of the like masonry footings, mm -hmm. the suspension cables kind of oh, make like a parabolic shape and they okay. wrap over. There's like a big, it's just, a, they call it a saddle, yeah. but it's like something that holds up the cables because the cables at that point are pushing a lot of force right. down into the towers. Yeah. So it needs some like bearing thing so it doesn't just like rip straight through. And, okay. So you were talking about the eight and a half inch diameter suspension cables earlier on? And what I thought was really fascinating, too, is that these were sent to the labs for testing in 1983. And it was concluded that the cables were still viable. And some of the wires even exceeded Roebling's original specifications. Which That's was, awesome. What was that, like 150 years later? Yeah. I don't know if, I mean, it means that Roebling at least had his factor safety correct. But yeah. maybe he was being a little too conservative with his engineering. Maybe. Or can you ever be too conservative with structure? I mean, a car did that's go through the deck, but that's not his fault. 
It's not yeah. his fault. That's he, Chuck's Brooks' fault. <laughs> Chuck's Brooks' truck falling into the mud. <laughs> Was it his truck that fell through? Yeah, no. I, know. <laughs> I still can't believe I... I still can't believe I messed up that basketball part. I'm still kidding myself. <laughs> oh, um, man. It's okay. We're all learning. No, you did fine. I'm all right. I still forget basketball. Like, I, I always find myself thinking about the Burnside Bridge and being like, what was that type of bridge again? Mm, it was like oh, the Strauss something. Was it a double oh, leaf? Basketball. Oh, yeah. The double leafed Strauss style fixed trunnion basketball. <laughs> you still got it. There are a lot of words, though. Like, I will say, there are so many. Like, I know a lot of our listeners, they're probably Pontus themselves, and they're probably like, this is cakewalk for me. But for someone who has no formal knowledge of bridges, really, there are a lot of words. So that's my only defense. I rest my case. (laughs) Your Honor, (laughs) there are a lot of words here. Uh, Sustained? (laughs) Overruled. There's not enough words. (laughs) Here's some more for you. Sorry. Giggle fest over here. So those are some examples of how the National Parks Services restored this bridge and and brought it to what it is today and even how we found it, right? Corey uh, from Scran, you know, this was something that he was really passionate about and was an awesome example to send over. So we want to thank thank him again. Shout out to you, Corey. Appreciate it. Yeah, great recommendation. Yeah. And as we were doing the research, the National Park Service has a website dedicated to this bridge and the associated scenic area, the Upper Delaware Scenic and Recreational River. And they do have a page for donations. So if anyone felt particularly inspired by this episode, or you live around the area, or you just love bridges in general and love what the National Park Service does, then we're going to have the link for the donation page in our bio and on the website and all that. So uh, we highly encourage you guys to go and support the National Park Services uh, because Again, we, I mentioned it at the start, but I I love the National Park Services and what they do. So thank you all for listening again. Um, I can't believe that you guys have made it this far into our <laughs> series and that our listeners still keep growing and that we're getting trolls from all over the world right now. So yeah, um, this has been such a fun episode to research on and we'll see you next week. Yeah. Shout out all my Pennsylvania folk. Make sure or also be sure to subscribe and review and rate us where you can. We always appreciate it. We love all of you guys. Um, And as Jeremy said, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bridge Boys. Bridge Boys. Roblings, Delaware, Aqueduct Bridge. Roblings, Delaware, Aqueduct Bridge. Hey, hey. Bridges.